welcome to Let's Talk About Thrones, the podcast where we, as aforementioned in the title, talk about the TV series Game of Thrones. Uh, with me, Jenny Josephson, I, Jenny fucking Josephson, uh, as apparently I have previously referenced myself, uh, I'm joined by Sir Richard of a really nice looking den. <laughs> this is my office. A really nice looking office. office. Freshly vacuumed, mind you. Freshly uh, vacuumed. Yes, today was today was uh, cleaning lady day. So that always that's always nice for me. Yes, uh, yeah. I'm glad to be back and to talk about these two exciting episodes. There's lots going on. We have a wedding to talk about. So Ooh, yeah, let's I'm get so to excited. It. Wait, but first we have to introduce Sir Ethan. Alan, Anthony, Amos, Kane. <laughs> <laughs> just, just all the names, all the all names. the names, whatever names you're going by today. Company. Yeah, uh, that's that's actually what I specialize in is uh, coming up with the names for myself. So that's we're just right. Gonna go with that. <laughs> that's right. All and right. I just have to say uh, these two episodes, uh, Richard. I told you season three would drone on a little bit, and season four would kind of kick it into gear. These two yeah. episodes kicked it into gear. On all fronts, the political front, the the everything. You guys, I could not be more excited to talk about the end of season three and the red wedding. Are you with me? Wait, what? Um, Jenny, Jenny, you're with me. This you, is what moment we've missed- been waiting for. No, 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 no. This is the moment we've been waiting for for three seasons, and I cannot wait to get Richard's fresh, unadulterated reaction. Jen- Jenny. Yeah, we did that already. You missed it. We did that one. Kent filled in for you. What? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Different wedding. You guys, I had technical yeah. difficulties. Yeah. Yeah. You'll yeah. have to go back and listen to that one. It was fun. You wait, technically, wait. you technically missed three oh nine and three ten. Oh. <laughs> You guys, this is devastating. Oh, wait, Richard, just for the sake of uh, podcast unity, give me your one sentence take on the Red Wedding. Huh. Well, you so, already used yeah, your I'm, sentence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did. Two in, sentences. In, not inaccurately. <laughs> it was, I would say it, it was less glamorous and more horrible than i expected it to be okay mm. now as we talked about but i'm going to bring jenny up to speed this is like the one thing that you did know going into the series that is correct i knew that there was a massacre wedding i did not know who was involved i knew nothing about whose wedding who was involved where it took place so this that was still kind of all New to me. I was just really disappointed that it wasn't at Joffrey's wedding because I really wanted to see him gone. Oh, guess huh. what we get to talk about well, now? I guess I haven't missed everything. Yeah, definitely. Um, All right. So let's start out uh, with the first episode of the fourth season of A Game of Thrones. It's called. Two Swords, and it premiered on April 6th, 2014. It was written by the showrunners David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. Uh, And in the quickest summation possible, uh, two swords uh, are made from one sword, uh, which used to belong to Eddard Stark. And And somehow we're supposed to know that. Well, he does say it. Really? I, yeah. I'm, it, it, I I guess that happened later, and because you have this whole scene where they're showing the forging and everything, and all that happens without dialogue, so the discussion about where it came from isn't until later. And I was like, right. So what's what's all this significance? It it was, um, you know, it was a lot. The backstory That's- is that there used to be a place called Valeria, the like you know, sort of spelled a certain way. And uh, they had really good uh, steel makers and steel stuff, and it had to do with dragons and the heat of old Valeria because it was basically on top of a bunch of volcanoes. 
And now that the old Valeria was destroyed, there's very few of these swords left, so they're very valuable, and all the great houses have one. And the Lannisters didn't have one. And now they have two. Now they have two. And one of them is going to a one-armed man, a one-handed man, and one of them is going to um, uh, a douche. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one is a a gift and namesake, and the other one is a wedding gift. Yes. Yeah. So that brings up its own complications on both fronts. Yep. So... Uh, a new character is introduced in this episode who uh, I had a real hard time caring about for a long time. I was like, at season four, do we need another character? Mm. Uh, but Prince Oberyn Martell is the son of Prince Doran Martell of a place we haven't really heard so much about called Dorne, which is, mm-hmm. uh, it implies that it is desertish. It's a little desertish, but... Um, basically, Oberyn's a hothead, and he has, um, a hot girlfriend, and, uh, they get into trouble. That he's really not terribly interested in, because they're out searching for other stuff. I think the implication is they swing together. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, okay. Yeah, and so, Oberyn has motives, right? And uh, it's kind of complicated. And Richard, this must have been one of those times where you were just like, what? But the bottom line is, during Robert's Rebellion, many, many people on both sides got killed. And this still pisses a lot of people off. And one of the people who's still pissed off is uh, Oberyn Martell. No, Mm -hmm. yeah, Oberyn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Oberyn. Sorry, I get confused. Uh, Oberyn Martell, because his sister... Uh, was killed by Gregor Clegane, the mountain brother of Sandor Clegane, who's currently on the run. So it's kind of like, oh, this is a lot. But he's but they did a good job of explaining it, right? Like he he was essentially justifying in his discussion with Tyrion, like what what his uh, concerns are. Yeah. This is one of the few times they bring in an outside story into the realm of the TV show and explain it like explicitly, but not to the minutia of the whole situation where there's still much more to learn outside and external references if you want, but they give you enough to really understand the character right off the bat. Yes. It's, they, they probably should have done a little bit more of that, especially yes. last season. <laughs> Agree. <laughs> Uh, okay, so, um, then obviously Sansa is pretty derned sad about what's going on with the entire destruction of her family, as far as she knows. Um, uh, Shay is, uh, still mad. This is like the scene where everybody's mad, uh, and nobody's having sex. (laughs) Those are the the two main (laughs) things of this scene. Uh, and Shay is mad at Tyrion because reasons, reasons, because he, he married, I guess. I don't know. And she also likes Sansa and it's confusing. Uh, but the important part about this is that they are spotted talking by someone else. Right. Uh, Who ends up going to to talk to yeah, Cersei. Not a good ending coming there. One could intuit. <laughs> um, and then... Cersei is basically a total lady D bag about, you know, like when your your brother lover comes back from his torture, you think right. she'd be like, oh, my God, you lost a hand. That must be so hard for you. And she's like, nope, you were gone. I was bumping one of your cousins or my cousins, our cousins. Sorry, it gets so confusing. <laughs> and uh, not in- interested in you. And that's kind of rude for for poor, sad, grubby Jamie. Uh, And I think this is the first time you see a serious rift between Cersei and Jamie Lannister. Am I correct, Sir Anthony Ethan Allen Kane? Uh, Yes, this is their first major rift. And this is also the first time where Cersei is overtly selfish. 
it's not you she can't hide behind a veil of it being about the kingdom or about serving yeah and there's there's nothing about it except for her own selfishness and it comes out in full force against the one person that's closest to her and it kind of it it it, it, it signals a bit of a change in mindset of Cersei that has been happening but is really readily apparent now it, yeah, because there's no more veil to hide behind. There's no sadness about Jamie being gone or whatever else. It's just Cersei. This is who she is. Yes, it just it paints her as incredibly self-centered and bitter in a way that you haven't seen before. And that whole thing where it's like, oh, you're too late. All of this terrible stuff happened to me. Well, yeah, um, lady. Meanwhile. He lost a hand and he was a prisoner for months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is a tide that, that once turned, it never returns. Yeah. She's she's continually, from this point on, just looking out for herself. It's and not- for their faults and, and how sick it is, the, the sad thing here is that I, I truly believe that he cares for her yes mm-hmm. yeah ja- uh jamie lannister a complex guy but also a simple guy he loves his family <laughs> he loves his a family <laughs> and he loves his family <laughs> <laughs> yeah all three ways yeah so uh then we've got a little scene with olena and marjorie tyrell who meet brienne of tarth and there's like a little back and forth about poor Renly and um then there's like a little security discussion and basically oh Joffrey's being a jerk again. Th- this part I sort of like glazed over a little bit. Um and poor Sansa Stark is alone in the Godswood, right? And then mm-hmm. something important does happen here, which is Jamie basically thinks that his oath to Brienne to um to Catelyn is void because Catelyn is dead and technically Sansa is almost a Lannister if she would consummate, which clearly she hasn't yet. So uh, he thinks he's kind of like, whatever, that's done. Yep. And this really frees him up to be a member of the Kingsguard again, which his father later talks to him about. And well, yeah, not happy. it, it, It shows the rift between this build between those two. Um, the really important part about this scene is one that you would gloss over at first glance, though. Yeah. It's where Sansa is leaving the Godswood, and she gets trailed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, by the 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 fool, the king's fool, who she had spoken up to and saved his life at the the that the previous wedding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, oh my God, the, no, the so name many day. Weddings. Yeah, yeah. the name day. The name day. Um, and he gives her his family heirloom, the the last thing that he has left. And it's really kind of a throwaway scene. It's not really something. Yeah. It, it you know it, it almost shows Sansa's uh, softer side. Like she does still care a little bit, and that's really all you get from that scene. But then it comes back really big in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was funny because this did seem like maybe this is a turning point. Maybe this will kind of break her in a little bit because you see a moment of joy mm-hmm. in her eyes and in her uh, smile as she talks with him Mm -hmm. and then kind of think, you know, looks at this trinket really, but, but something that was very valuable to him and he gave away to her. Yeah. And can we just pause for a second? Sophie Turner is an amazing actress. Yeah. She's the one that plays Sansa and she, she carries out the, these emotional transitions. I mean, she's a young actress anyway, but she carries out these emotional transitions within a scene. Like it's no big deal. Like it's, it's well, that's what all actresses do. Yeah. You keep saying that. I'm, I don't know. I, I guess, I guess I, I don't know. Still not impressed, huh? I, I'm I, because it's, it's a lot of blank soulless staring. And when you're doing so much of that, I, I honestly don't have a feel for how hard that is because I'm not an actor, Mm. but it doesn't strike me as all that diverse, like you're suggesting, but maybe I haven't seen enough yet. Well, hang in for, hang in with Sansa. That was, that is a, 
a a popular opinion of its day, and I I understand where it's coming from because I often felt like that as well. Um. Okay, so we've got a little situation in the north. Uh, we're still sort of dealing with the after effects of Jon Snow getting shot by a greet, and uh, you know, going back to the 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 men in black there at the wall, the Knights of the Wall Castle, Wall Black. I don't know, and. <laughs> Uh, he is, John is sort of like being debriefed or uh, sort of on trial for what he did and killing Corrin Halfhand, uh, and, um, you know, it, it, it's, it sets up something that will be important later, which is the super dickhead on the committee there, Alistair Thorne, who's just like, you know, ultimate middle management like hothead middle management who's never going to rise any higher uh is um y- you really get a sense of how much he still dislikes John like the last time you really saw that guy was like back in training sorry excuse me back in training so uh you know that this is like uh, another story point and another character beat here yeah this is uh th- this again it seems like a throwaway a throwaway scene where he's basically just clearing his name then he moves on but it has huge implications in another you know another couple episodes or a little later in the story where you see a very similar situation but it turns out very differently for a couple of the people that were in that room and yeah. it's like this this is all an investment in in the future and this is one of the things that I'm noticing this time is these little pieces that they're adding in there, I didn't really realize how much that was packed in there and how much foreshadowing was in each one of these little tiny scenes. Yeah, this is that's the fun part of a rewatch, is that you're like, oh. Um, so it's, now... It's, before yeah. we move off of that, yeah. I mean, what's interesting is I didn't even put this in my notes. It seems so insignificant. But it's interesting that you said that the way that you did, Anthony, because... You said he's there to clear his name, and I distinctly got the feeling that that is not at all what happened, but he doesn't care. He's moving on, and he knows that there's work to be done. Yeah, this is this is a division of missions, all right? Like, he yep. he, he knows what's really going on, and he's got the, the idea in his head of where it needs to go, and as big as the, the idea of, of defending the wall against the... the Wildlings, there we go. I couldn't come up with the word to save my life. As, <laughs> as important as it, as it is to protect the wall against the wildling onslaught, it's Sam that really knows what's going on. Yeah, like, you know? and, and now you're starting to let, like Sam's value uh, is starting to become more apparent. Like first, at first, he was right. just a scared guy, and he didn't seem like he was very valuable in training. And they didn't seem like he was loyal, but not very valuable um, in the fight up north. But now you're really starting to see, much like you would see with Tyrion, is that like books matter and reading them is important. <laughs> and that's starting yeah. to pay off. I still yeah. think it's interesting here that he hasn't told John that he saw. Yeah. Like- God, you know, if I had been on that episode, I would have told you. <laughs> that that near miss is one of the more heartbreaking things it still breaks my heart um every time i see it is how close those two uh came to be reunited even briefly but it would have been a terrible time to reunite but right. technically they kind of were if you count the warging anyway diverging yeah well I yeah mean, it, it's be- insane that they were so close i mean we did talk about that and and with your other friend, your other friend, you yeah. talk about that with your other friend. Hey, you know, you had a chance to be here. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. So between Arya, Arya, Arya's near misses and Bran's near misses with oh. the reun- reunification of the family, like this, just that entire east coast of the north is just riddled with what could have been a Stark re- uh, re- reuniting, and yeah. it, it just it never happens, at least thus far. Yeah. Although chance encounters are not going to be, they're not going to be a foreign concept for the rest of this yeah. this show. It, it happens 
pretty consistently like, oh, this person just happens to be on the same road at the same time as this other person who's doing this other thing that that person doesn't like. Yeah. And yeah. They all got there really fast. <laughs> uh, okay. So now we're in the Riverlands and uh, Arya Stark and the Hound are turning into the best two man buddy cop series, murder cop series that you've ever seen. This is just the very beginning of it, but um, uh, they are like every like big grumpy guy and small annoying kid duo that have ever existed. Um, and this is sort of like where they start being that a little bit. And I like it. Yeah, they start off they start off not trust, you know, the hound doesn't trust her at all. And, you know, she feeds into that mistrust because, well, she goes down, down into this little inn, which by the way, I think this is the fourth time we've been to the inn. Yeah. Uh, the inn at the plot crossroads. I think it's called. Yes. The- <laughs> and, uh, she almost kind of earns her trust because now she's earning her key because in this, this fight that happens at the, the at the inn, she not only, saves him when he when the hound was being was going to be hit from behind she then goes and reclaims her sword needle and then takes it out the revenge that she had sought on this individual that took it from her yeah and she did it with without hesitation she knew exactly what she did was doing it was calculated it was precise and it was cold and the hound can respect that so there's a little bit of business at, uh, you know, with Daenerys Targaryen that we still haven't gone over. And basically, she's playing with her dragons. They're basically acting like teenagers. Uh, there's a little bit of business with the guys jockeying for position. And then it ends in a really horrifying way where uh, they're on their way to Marine. And uh, there isn't like a, a lot of people on crucifixes, a lot of slaves on crucifixes and people have not yet learned they probably shouldn't piss off Daenerys Targaryen and they're all pointing towards yeah, the Marine. city yeah yeah so it's pretty gruesome that is it is gruesome. gruesome but it's typical for this show right it doesn't really strike me it's like oh okay there's going to be dead bodies all over the place i guess we're used to that by now the thing that i took out of the sequence of scenes with Daenerys was that second when the dragons were feeding that she lost control of them and they kind of returned to their native instincts and snapped at her when she tried to kind of not so much comfort, but I guess kind of correct the one, the one dragon that was acting a little, I I don't remember if he was acting put off or if he was acting too aggressive and she kind of strokes him to, to calm him and he turns around and snaps at her. Mm. Uh, this, this in the business, Richard, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Jenny, but I believe they call this foreshadowing. Yes. Well, that I would, yeah, is correct. I, I, that's not surprising. Yeah. <laughs> um, Do they have yeah, foreshadowing and, and, where you grew up, Richard? <laughs> <laughs> they do they do uh the marvels of modern it, literature <laughs> sometimes it hits you over the head with a rock and sometimes it's a little more subtle mm. this seemed kind of obvious yes yeah which is one of the reasons why i brought it up there are there are subtleties in the scene such as when they drop whatever animal it is that they were chewing on they drop it at her feet that's more symbolic than it is anything else um it's it's a carefully guised version of foreshadowing but the snapping back that is that's just directly back you know that's that's just showing you what's gonna how things are gonna go is is, there's nothing subtle about it yeah Um, um okay so now we're on to the second episode of the fourth season of game of thrones which is called the lion and the rose hey before we go there. No. Uh, no yes, I'm just kidding. One what? more thing. Yes. Needle. Yes, very I'd important. For- I had forgotten about Needle, mm. and it was really... Uh, in fact, I forgot about it until I saw it, until I saw it in her hands. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that sword. That was your first kill. Mm-hmm. 
and and that sword as she's using it and you kind of talked about this a little bit but as she's using it it's slow and calculated and entirely without feeling you right. guys i think aria might be a sociopath <laughs> i mean <laughs> well I, I meant to mention I, i've been saying that aria goes through a transition and the transition is nearly complete at this point like aria has is becoming adult aria she's becoming the woman she's going to be and she's leaving her childish ways behind and there's there's going to be still a little bit in there because in the story she's like 11 or 12 or something i don't know right. she's like 43 according to george R. R. martin time but um <laughs> that transition like this is this is not going over the hump this is she's on the way down from the transition she's it's mostly done, and she's becoming this other person. She's not this meek little girl that was just adventurous. Now she's doing things with intent. Yeah. Right. And enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weird. The other thing that was really kind of cool about the sword, and I didn't get this, I will sheepishly admit that I caught this in the HBO kind of about this episode thing afterward. But we open with one sword from the family and we close with another. Yes. I didn't realize that. Yep. Kind of cool. They didn't mean two swords made out of one sword. They meant two swords come into the hands of two different people. Yeah. Very different people. One, the Starks loses a sword, but the Starks gains a sword. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay, now uh, it's hot where Jenny is, so she wants to get on with the fun part. Let's move on to the 402. Yep. Jenny, what happens in 402 that you're so excited about? Well, it's not (laughs) happening at Dragonstone. (laughs) Oh my gosh. The Red Lady's burning people and Stannis couldn't care less. She's burning... (sighs) She's burning his in-laws and he couldn't care less. And his wife is basically having like a hody tooty about it. Like she's so excited. She's like Like, having a holy orgasm or something. It's that's what is going on. She's seeing stuff and it's just crazy. And then uh, the red lady goes and talks to Shireen and that conversation isn't is, is not how conversations should go. Um, Shireen is, is, is an amazing little girl. She's, she's got a, such a small part in this whole story, but she puts out such a presence that anytime yeah. she's on scene, she is the scene. Yep. And it, just like, leave the little girl alone and move on. And then we leave Dragonstone. And I just, gosh, man, it, it's Stannis is the new, uh, now, now that he's gone, <laughs> Stannis is the new King of the North story for me. Like I don't care about Rob Stark. Now I don't care about Stannis. Not for the same reasons, but I get that same emotional. Like, can we just move on to the next scene, please? Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, it's one of those things. Um, so poor uh, Reek, nay Theon Greyjoy. Oh yeah. Uh, is along for a little hunt with this young lady named Miranda and Ramsey. And Miranda's like, I don't remember if she's in the book or not, because probably at this point I wasn't reading the books. I was just uh, watching the TV show. But she's sort of like brought along to be the, the Bonnie to the uh, uh, to Ramsey Bolton's... Uh, uh, I lost the metaphor, but you know what I mean. Clyde? Yep, thanks. Uh, and... Okay. <laughs> There's just like a bunch of conversation with Roose Bolton, the father, and Ramsey, uh, technically Snow still, um, uh, about like, did we do the right thing? Did we do the wrong thing? Um, it, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a thing of, of you did the wrong thing with Theon, but I appreciate you, what you did with Theon separately from what I needed him for. Yeah. It's it's almost like I'm impressed with the training, quote unquote training that you put him through, but it's not going to accomplish the what I needed to accomplish with him. Yeah. So it's like a, a little dichotomy in the conversation there. And Theon Reek shaves uh, uh, Ramsey Bolton, and that was an interesting scene. Lots of tension. Um, yeah, it was it was interesting. I'll give it that. Yeah, 
I, yeah. I actually liked it quite a bit because it shows how broken, either how broken Theon is or how he's biding time. And I don't know which it is at this point because the whole time that he's there while uh, Lord Bolton, is it Lord Bolton? Is he a Lord? Yeah. Yes. Is basically chastising Ramsay's actions. He's hearing that. Reek is hearing this whole thing. And then Ramsay's like, oh, but look, I trained my dog here. Look, here, give me a shave and puts a blade in his hand and starts taunting him about all this stuff that has happened. Oh, and by the way, his friend Rob, oh yeah, he's dead. Did I forget to tell you about that? With the blade at his neck and Theon slash Reek just lets it pass, continues shaving him, and demonstrates that maybe he is in fact a... A, a broken, subservient person, but I question that. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so, yeah, it's fine. This is just one of those things where you're like, fine. And then you've got... Um, Let's not move on from there, because you oh. mentioned the hunt. Mm. The hunt is one of the most... I think disturbing things that I've seen on this show. And there's a lot of disturbing shit that happens on this show. Yeah. And at first I feel, I I thought maybe they were hunting Theon. No, they weren't. Okay. Well, what are they hunting? And then I realized, Oh, they're hunting one of the women. Yeah. And shoot her. And then basically you hear her getting torn up and eaten alive by dogs or wolves or whatever they are. Uh, nothing about... It was horrible. Yeah, nothing about Ramsey Snow or Ramsey Bolton really gets any better from the moment you meet him. No. No, the depravity just increases, and it's... The most disgusting thing he ever does is far ahead of us in the story. Yeah. Like, he has a ways to go before he reaches the peak of his disgustingness. Mm. Yeah. Fun. This is yeah. a rough rewatch section for me. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're rewatching, you know where his story goes and where and who else it affects, and it's just disturbing all around. Um. So, the other thing happening in the North is that Bran gets a vision, and basically, uh, uh, now finally knows where to go. I mean, the brand right. storyline is one that is like always too long in between <laughs> just it, anything happening. Every vision he's had up until this point could have been mentioned in passing and been just as effective. This is the first time he has a vision yeah. that actually means anything. Agree. Agree. Um, so fine, you know, now they know where they're going. Joy, happy, happy, joy, joy. Uh, well, even the the vision doesn't necessarily tell him where to go. The tree tells him where yeah. to go after the vision. Yeah. So it's like yeah. Bran's storyline, I think, generally speaking, takes a lot of patience. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. It is definitely trotting along. But let's talk about more fun things because there are many, many wonderful scenes with Tyrion. Let's. <laughs> Our pal, Tyrion Lannister. Tyrion, I, I have to say, for all of the things that Tyrion gets to do, sometimes Tyrion is generally at his best talking to people. Oh, yeah. In just casual conversation like Mm -hmm. he is in this instance talking to his brother uh and and just like Tyrion the normal is one of my favorite characters because he just (laughs) cannot be um i don't know it's just delightful it's like watching two smart people do a podcast i don't know um (laughs) sometimes three smart people depends I was uh, say, not what you'll find here, but that's okay. <laughs> well, only by definition. Um, so, 
Uh, then Tyrion actually has a good suggestion, which is like, yeah, dude, I'm sorry you have a golden hand. Uh, you better learn to fight with the other one. And he does something that seems like sensible, but in the end turns out to be quite consequential. As he introduces his brother to Bronn, who I guess at this point is still a member of the king. I'm a little confused. Not Kingsguard, the city watch or commander of the city watch. Uh, right. Or was or something like whatever. So uh, Bronn <laughs> exactly. basically starts to kick Jamie Lannister's ass around the schoolyard. And uh, that is a fun scene to watch. Yeah. And it wakes Jamie up. Yeah. And Jamie starts to take this a little bit more seriously and starts to train to yep. fight again. Yep. Yeah. Because fighting him like that and showing him that he's not he's not the Jamie that he was kind of wakes him up. And like I said, it, it, it gives him that choice. Well, either I can learn to relearn to fight or I can just be a putz with a sword. Right. So, and you know, he, he only knows one thing. Yeah. So once again, one of the few good relationships in terms of like people who just like each other hmm. is between Tyrion and Jamie and each one of them understands the other very well. And it's a nice moment. And it leads to many fascinating things. Mm. And it's funny because I wouldn't have concluded that they did, in fact, like each other. I kind of got the feeling that there was a lot of bitterness between them in earlier scenes. Yeah. But they do. They genuinely care about each other, I think. And I think that that is um, uh, a nice moment. Well, Jamie is the only Lannister that's ever stood up for Tyrion. Yeah. So, you know, almost, almost by elimination of any other choice, Tyrion has to have an affinity for his brother, for his older brother. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I can't hate the one guy that's nice to me. So. Um. Yep. Good point. So, uh, then we we get a little like pre-wedding celebration in which things are going on. Uh. Joffrey gets a golden chalice. Mm hmm. Uh, Shay, uh, it, it gets busted, basically. Um, <laughs> right. By Cersei, which is not good. Like, there's well, just like the, a little this bit is of. the big breakup episode. Yeah. The little bit of like a uh, lead up. Um, Joffrey wants to, uh, Uh, Tyrion gives, uh, sorry, I'm losing my, I'm losing my memory. Fill me in. Fill me in, Anthony, Ethan, Alan, Kane. Well, so let, let's actually talk about the, the issue with Shay, right? Yeah. So Shay's been found out and Varys warns Tyrion that Shay has been found out and Tyrion has to do the horrible thing of basically hurting her to get her to safety. Yes. Mm -hmm. Basically doing exactly what, what he doesn't want to do, going against his, his intuition and Shay's feelings to push her away, say exactly the words that he needs to in order to get her to leave. Right. And it, it works in the most tragic of ways and both of them leave heartbroken, but it, you know, Tyrion has to face what has to be done versus what he wants. And what he really wants inside is for her to be safe and happy. And that's not going to happen there. It's going to be disaster for her. Right. And possibly for him as well, but mostly for her. Yep. And he continues to obviously be concerned about her as he asks to make sure, you know, did she get on the ship? Did it sail away? Is she safe? Right. And... He's constantly reaffirmed that, yes, she's fine. Don't worry about her. She'll be fine. So he's obviously hurting from this. This is, you're absolutely right. This is the last thing that he wanted to have to do. Yep. And all of that leads us to the craziest, best wedding <laughs> I've ever seen. I'm so glad to hear you say that. Uh, <laughs> so basically it's as crass and insulting and weird of a wedding as it could possibly be when basically a small 
sociopathic child marries, you know, a rich lady with money. Uh, and there's like a bit where like Joffrey in the celebration uses um, little people to basically, you know, insult Tyrion and Tyrion gets demoted to the cupbearer and like just like weird stuff is going on at this wedding and of course Sansa's there having to watch all this and it's just going terribly and there's like bits with like uh you know cut this pie eat this drink this thing and everybody's like ordering everybody around and there's one of these like everybody has their hands on the goblet at some point things which you um you know, in retrospect, has been really interesting. Uh, and, yeah. And then what happens? What happens next, Richard? Describe to us <laughs> what happened when you watch this. Oh, my favorite moment to date. This is maybe even better than Daenerys getting her army and freeing them, because this is finally Jeffrey getting Joffrey getting his due. He is in a rage. He's pissed off. He has this wine and he's yelling at people and he's drinking the wine and he starts coughing and coughing. And I'm like, oh, please tell me. Oh, yes, please, 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 please be. Please tell me he is going to die. And guess what? He dies. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey was poisoned. It's pretty and, and awesome. I'm so I'm so excited by this. And again, I watched the HBO after show and they talk about how they think they really did a genuine job of making you care about the characters at the end as he's dying and, and Cersei is all distraught and I'm like, no, I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anybody who was like sad to see Joffrey go, except from a purely like I like bad characters point of view, uh, you should probably uh, <laughs> keep a close eye on them. Yeah. Um, uh, the, yeah. So, th- did you notice the pieces that brought about his demise, Richard? Because this is what I was talking about before that before we we recorded that I on this rewatch I got to see all the pieces come together. Mm-hmm. Um, that I hadn't noticed before until they're actually revealed overtly later on in the series. But this is the first time I've actually watched it and knew what to look for and actually seen it happen. So did you catch it? So I don't, but thinking, I, I didn't necessarily, but thinking back to it, if it, what struck me was, and we kind of you know glossed over the details of, of all of the craziness, but we have this scene where Joffrey has his wine goblet, but he doesn't drink from it. He pours it over Tyrion's head after Tyrion insults him mm-hmm. by suggesting that that uh, Joffrey should go out and, you know, fight the the actors who are out on the stage. And um, then we end up with this back and forth where, where Joffrey forces Tyrion to be his wine servant and forces him to give him the wine mm-hmm. and we also have a moment where the Joffrey kind of taunts the situation or, or, or taunts Tyrion as he's trying to pick up the chalice and he's kicking it and and uh, pushing it away and making it harder for him to do what he's asking him to do, mocking him. Meanwhile, Sansa picks up the chalice and then hands it to Tyrion. Mm-hmm. And then Tyrion fills it and gives it to him and he finally drinks from it. There's probably some other passings in there that I missed, but just in those scenes, there like a lot of this is like the what's what's the way that I would put this the 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 way this looks like Tyrion has been set up is almost set up by Joffrey himself. Mhm. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't that wouldn't be in, inaccurate with the because Joffrey was basically in control of the situation the entire time. Yep. Um 
So then my question for you is, who is responsible for Joffrey's death? I know, I know. Oh, yeah, you probably do. But I I don't know at this point, and I don't want to be spoiled. And I think, like, there are some obvious contenders, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Sansa certainly has motive, but how how could she have pulled that off? I don't think Tyrion would do that. He's smarter than that. Um, Oberyn certainly has motive, but Oberyn was just moments ago mocking uh, uh, Cersei for no longer being the Queen Regent. Mm -hmm. And why would he make such a big deal of that if, in fact, she has an opportunity to come back to power if Joffrey's gone. So it doesn't make sense that he would have done it either. So I, I really don't, I'm kind of at, I, I have no idea. Oh, that's going to be a wonderful reveal, yeah. reveal when that comes out then. Because <laughs> we'll pin it's, that it's, one for later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you'll, you're going to watch this episode again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will probably want to do that. Yes, I'm sure Cause, I will. Because once it's revealed, you have to go back and watch how it was done, and it's it's done masterfully. Yeah, from, from the very beginning, it's just amazing. Well, and let's talk about this scene from a production standpoint, right? This is an incredibly complex scene and sequence of events to mm. to put together. There are a, there's a staggering number of actors mm-hmm. on stage to begin with, let alone main characters. There are significant interactions between many of them. And some of it just seems like small talk. Others seems like opportunity and, and others, as I'm seeing these discussions, I don't necessarily understand the significance of it, but it, it seems like there's gotta be something there. Well, first of all, this is a 360 scene. Like it's it's shot in every direction. There's no empty wall on one side that they can just keep cameras at and shoot the whole thing from. So it's it the, right. the crews had to move around the set in order to record all the parts of the scene. Then the layout of the whole thing had to be in such a way that, you know, um a, a lot of the not I don't say minor, but for this scene their minor characters are sitting in the crowd. So they'd have to be able to you'd have to be able to show them and show that they're in the crowd without obstructing them, while at the same time mm-hmm. you have other things going on in the same recording because you can see it just off camera, and it's it's really effective in putting you like making you feel like you're actually in the scene. And the other thing that I uh, that I want to point out is all of this like pretty much the entire scene, which this is almost half the episode, is this one scene is right. is shot at eye level. Mm-hmm. There's no overhead shots. There's no creative camera angles or anything else. It's pretty much all shot at eye level, which really sets that tone where you're there. You're not an observer. You're a participant. And I think that actually has more of an effect when the final scene comes down and Joffrey falls to the ground and the camera is over him looking down at Cersei. And it, like, cause now you've been in this scene for half an hour, this one scene for this, continual half an hour and then at the very last second they break you away from it to show you the chaos that is going on with Joffrey's death mm-hmm. right and it it, it 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 strikes you more it, even more than it normally would because of that that camera angle change because of that that scenery change now you're not part of it anymore you're observing and it's like wow that, yeah. that's happening I mean it's exceptional it is arguably a better more clear, more um, impactful wedding massacre than the last one. Yeah, and uh, just so we are clear, this episode is written by George R. R. Martin. Yeah, he handled this one personally. Yep. Oh wow. Okay. So that's that's where a lot of this, a lot of the the very tight script and a lot of the very uh, poignant dialogue and everything else, it really comes through because it's his writing. Yeah. It's him transferring his own word to the screen. Yeah. Can we talk about some of the conversations? Because there were some wonderful ones. Yes. We have Lady Terrell kind of repeatedly pointing out how she's essentially financing all of this, mm-hmm. which I think is hysterical. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Cersei 
accusing Brienne of being in love with Jamie, which she does not deny. She does not deny. But, uh, it. Even exactly. if she if she did, it would just like almost prove the point even more. So there's that's that's one of those things. Are you in love with him? Like any answer I give is a yes because well, that's what you don't want to hear. I think it depends on how she reacted, right? I mean, if if she just immediately reacted with a no, of course I'm not just kind of like it, that's preposterous. I, I think that could have been played believably, but she makes no effort, no effort at all. She doesn't respond at all, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. You guys, as they uh, as we once learned on Titanic, a woman's heart is a deep ocean. <laughs> wow, <Okay>. that's, that's... <laughs> I don't I don't remember that lesson from I Titanic, do. I, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I, I, I also uh, was struck by just the the, the interesting conversation between uh, Loris and Jamie mm-hmm. after Loris literally bumps into Jamie while eyeing Prince Oberyn. And do they know each other, or do they just? I think both they're both on the Kingsguard. Really they're the Kingsguard together. Wait, what? no, 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 Loris? no, no. Uh, Loras and Oberyn. Loras oh, and Oberyn. and Oberyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. don't. They don't know each other. No. They... So they just have good gaydar. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, o- wow. Oberyn, Oberyn. I wish it really worked that way. Just so that y'all know, <laughs> it doesn't really work <laughs> that way. It's not that obvious. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Nothing in love is because yeah, the, the, a human's a heart is a deep ocean. Uh, o- o- <laughs> Oberyn has has a reputation for being a promiscuous man. Like he's got a reputation of of, of not holding back his sexuality on either I side re- of the fence. So is that true? Because I, from the way that he jumped at. Alaria, after when they were kind of found at Littlefingers, I was under the impression that his proclivities were uh, hidden, and he was using Alaria as a beard. Oh. No, I I always got the impression that he swung every way, like yeah, not just he, he, north okay. and south, but like east, west, okay. southeast, Up, southwest. The barnyard. Yeah. Omnisexual? Yeah, he's poly. I think he's polyamorous there. Oh, <laughs> he's poly all the things. He's poly everything. Poly everything. <laughs> um, and title. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, it, it, that's that's just one of those things. And in Dorne, they have a reputation of not having the same um, taboos surrounding yeah. sex that they have everywhere else in Westeros. So it. it's already okay. a promiscuous lot, and then you got this renowned promiscuitor uh, that you know. Is that a is title? Because I, I I think that's the greatest title I've ever heard. Promiscuitor. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like a cross between a horny guy and a centaur. I don't know. It's like <laughs> what a great word. <sighs> so yeah, that's. I think that's what's going on there, Richard. Yeah. So Loris bumps into Jamie literally, and they have some words about Cersei. And Jamie's like, you know, are you looking forward to your wedding? Oh yes, I, I very much am. Big lie, of course. And um, he at one point Jamie says to him, "Well, just to be clear, you're never marrying Cersei." Nah. And Loris's response is, "Neither are you." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good conversation. It. It's just like a days of our King's Landing. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, and, yes. and and again, this is all one scene. This like half this episode is just this one scene where all these little things are happening, all the stories being developed, all these characters are are playing their hands, and and it's it, there's less cunning. And behind the scenes, like, uh, you know, uh, shady stuff going on, it's more overt. And this is one of the few times where you get a lot of people willing to put their hand out there and show what they got and how they feel and what they think at the same time. Usually it's really in private. And this is kind of an open, open, uh, it's literally open air, but it's more of an open environment where they're 
much more bold than they normally would be. That's what happens at weddings. People get drunk and say their stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Now, one of the last interactions that occurs before the final scene with Joffrey and his mother is that Sansa is basically whisked away by someone. Who is that? The same guy that gave her the necklace. Mm-hmm. Ah, I did not see that. The fool. Okay. okay. Yep. And here's something else to think of about this episode and the last episode and, well, the last several episodes. We haven't seen Littlefinger. Mm. Peter Baelish has been mm. gone M-I-A. for a while. M-I-A. Yeah, Ooh, and it's yeah. not like the actor's pregnant and they just don't want to put her, put him on scene. I mean, he, so <laughs> th- this is an intentional move that I I I normally wouldn't say anything if an actor just happened to be you know oh that character is just not part of it. But it's been several right. episodes since we've seen Peter Baelish, and, and it is odd that he wouldn't be at this occasion, mm-hmm. right? So where is he? What's he doing? Uh, last we heard, he was supposed to be taking Sansa off somewhere. She never left. So, Richard, it's going to be fun for you to find that that little trinket, trinket out. Okay. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and it, did we mention the, the change of actors for the old boy with Daenerys? Oh, yeah. So, um, uh, what's his name? Right. Well, the, yeah, the guy that... The, Dario Naharis. Yeah. The, this is Dario. This is other Dario. Yeah. So, this is Dario, too. Dario the next, like a soap opera, they recast him. (laughs) Literally, they recast him. Did they really? Because for for some reason, I had it in my head that he died at the end Mm -mm. of the last season. Mm -mm. Well, they either either recast him or resurrected him. Either way, it wasn't shown on the show. (laughs) It's a new actor. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Now, are we finally? uh, I like this one better. Uh, we're finally now at the Dario that remains the Dario for the rest of Dario, right? Um, I think, but I don't want to commit to that. Okay. Because I don't Wait, remember how long Dario? the Dario remains Dario. Yeah. Oh, good grief. So. So, TBD future discussion there. <laughs> okay and I, and I think this really closes this episode these two episodes out we're again we're with the matched pairs they're just they just kind of go together and the, the other than the aria story that didn't really resurface in the second episode it really kind of flows into one another mm-hmm. like a like wine into a goblet <laughs> this was such uh, such a wonderful, wonderful episode. Uh, one or four hundred two in particular. You know, mm-hmm. early on as we were talking about early episodes, you said, "Wait, you're going to get payback. Just wait. Mm. It's going to come. It's going to come." And it 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 comes in such a big way. Yes, there are character moments that you uh, may or may not expect or or that are validating or not but just the the grandeur and production that they went through to present this story just blew my mind i really loved this episode yeah it was pretty great <laughs> it, d- it doesn't hurt that your least favorite character got killed off no not at all <laughs> Not thing. at all. He had not one redeeming quality. <laughs> but apparently Jack Gleason, the guy that plays uh, Joffrey Lannister, is an amazing person in real life. So Acting. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I want to see him play that so that I don't hate him for the rest of his life. Do you know life. what role, do you remember the role that he was first in where he first came to people's attention a little bit, although you didn't really realize it until later? Mm-mm. No. Do you remember this? What? He was in Batman Begins. That's right. He oh. played, yeah, Joffrey Joffrey uh, Lannister was uh, the little kid in the Narrows when they, they released the fear gas. Uh, and he's just this little blonde kid that Batman saves. Yep. Hmm. That is when I went back later and rewatched that movie. I was like, "Hey, I know that face. 
<laughs> All right, that's cool. I need more than that. I, I need to see more. Well, yes, you're watching he Batman Begins. Of him being nice. I really need that. He needs post-Joffrey niceness. Okay. Yes. <laughs> keep my eye out. I really do. Um, all right. Well, so, yeah, two weddings within basically four episodes um, in which there is uh, lots of slaughter and then one very specific slaughter. But uh, the the lesson should really be do not get married in public. Don't do mm. it. Just don't do it. <laughs> Just elope. Just run yeah. off. Just do a hand fast wedding, whatever it is. But like, don't get married in public. Now, now see, I thought maybe the lesson was don't be an asshole. Well, I mean... I- if you, if you remember several episodes ago, uh, Braun and Tyrion were having a joke about what was it? Is Tyrion and, and somebody maybe uh, maybe Varys about the only times you hear hear the bells ringing are at weddings and funerals? Yep. and they made the joke same thing. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, apparently, <laughs> technically true, and sometimes both at once. <laughs> so there's going to be lots of bells for that one. Yep. All right. Uh, Jenny, where can people find more about Jenny? Oh, so much is happening, you guys. So I also do a show called Let's Talk About Star Wars, in which there's going to be a new episode of um, every month. Uh, It's a lot of fun. Uh, Then, of course, uh, I'm producing a podcast called Under the Hood, which is not about cars. And we actually did a really amazing episode about um, a really difficult topic, which is uh, that a lot there there are really high rates of maternal and infant mortality uh, in black women specifically and women of color generally. And we just sort of like got this amazing woman to tell us everything that we really needed to know about that topic. And so if you go to under the hood podcast.com, I don't care if you're a parent, not a parent, uh, whoever you are, this episode is worth a listen because um, it really speaks to a lot of the inequities and issues that we have going on right now. So, you know, sometimes I'm goofy and I talk about game of Thrones and sometimes I'm producing stuff. That's got a little more, um, you know, challenge to it in in this universe so i would uh i highly recommend you guys go check that out at under the hood podcast.com that's fantastic i'm i'm really excited about that project for you in general jenny and i want to advise that people go to that address to find the show because if you search for this in podcast search engines you're going to have lots of problems because yeah. you're going to get all kinds of car shows. Yeah, there's a lot of car shows with under the hood. We are very specifically referring to other kinds of hoods. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it at that. Uh, that's like a triple entendre as far yeah. as I can tell. You guys, um, so many entendres. <laughs> Richard, uh, where can people find your entendres? Uh, people can find them at the digitalmediazone.com, the digitalmediazone.com. I am the editor there, and I uh, host a couple of podcasts there, including one about smart home technology. And I'm going to be out at Cedia, which is a big show for professional installers. I'm going to be out there next week. We're going to be doing a show live for the first time, so that ought to be interesting. Neat. And um, soon we're going to have a really cool guest coming on. This guy was on my show five years ago when they were just this tiny little company. You may have heard of this little company, Ring. They just Whoa. got bought by Amazon a little while ago for a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So he's he's coming back and he's going to be on an episode of my show in September. And he's bringing you all your stock options that you forgot the first time, right? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. All right. Well, you can find all the things that I'm doing at uh, RitualMisery.com, including this show, all the show notes for previous episodes and everything that we're doing with it. And of course, you can find me personally on Twitter at Ethan Kane, E-T-H-A-N-C-A-I-N-E. And yeah, I'm doing all sorts of stuff. I'm going to be uh, similar to Jenny soon, whereas I do not have a employer that stops me from saying certain things. So that's going to be a lot of fun in about one year. Oh, yes, the I'm countdown down begins. 
<laughs> the countdown you, begins. You, you'll actually see on my Twitter post that if if I have something really political to say, it just says two zero one nine zero nine zero one, and that's the date that I'm officially retired, and I can Aww. say whatever I want. So <laughs> I can't wait. Oh no, my god, it's um, gonna be it, off the. Hook. Although I, I will advise you that I, I am in the position now where I don't have an employer, I'm my own boss, but because I want to continue to get jobs, I still edit myself. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sensibly speaking, uh, it's never a bad idea to continue to be circumspect on Twitter. The only difference, and yeah. this is a whole other show, the only difference that I find is sometimes when something's so important that it's burning a hole in my gut, I can't actually say it. As opposed to not be able yep. to say it, but it's like it's yeah. still worth yep. it to have your your moments be rare because they are then more valued. Hmm. Um, if you would like to tell us all about how our ramblings at the end of the show don't matter, or that you would like a show just <laughs> about the ramblings, feel free to do so at let's talk about thrones at gmail dot com. Uh, send us your your inputs, what we got right, what we got wrong, and how you felt about the red and now purple weddings. Purple rules. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we will talk to you next time when we get together to talk about thrones. R-A-T-U-A-L-M-I-S-E-L-Y